Let's get our Bibles out tonight, and we're going to begin in the book of Joel. I'll take just a moment, let you find that, the book of Joel. And if you go to the book of Matthew and take a left, prior to that you'll have what we often refer to as the minor prophets, places like Malachi and Haggai and different ones. And there's Joel after Daniel and toward the end of the Old Testament. While you're turning there, just a reminder, if you did not get a bulletin as you came in today, I'd encourage you to do so. A lot of important information in that bulletin. It's so good to be in the Lord's house today. What a beautiful day as well. No complaints. Amen. Normally we're in uh, the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and Lord willing, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark this evening, but I just uh, have had this passage on my heart for really a couple of weeks, and I want us to uh, look at it together and just look at the possibilities that are found in this passage, this prophecy of Joel to the nation of Israel and Judah. Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand. Joel chapter 2, and... We're going to read several verses now. We'll read some other verses later, but we'll emphasize a particular thought that's found in this passage. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore also now saith the Lord. So even though this is a prophecy of Joel, it's Joel giving a prophetic message. It's the Lord that's speaking. Very important to understand. This was not Joel's opinion. This was God's word. Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Aren't you glad that God's that way? Gracious and merciful slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent? Now, I feel compelled every time I read a passage like this to give a word of explanation. When it talks about repentance, the word repent technically means to have a change of mind. A change of mind that will result in a change of action. That's what repentance is. We're called upon to repent of our sins. But God can repent, although God has never sinned. He can change his mind about something. He can change from a course that he is determined to do. And that's what Joel is talking about in verse 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a thank offering unto the Lord your God. Now, I think most of you would agree with this today. We, we believe that the Bible is a book of certainties. Many things in the Bible you can be absolutely certain about. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. I know. It's a, it's a certainty. John says that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a certainty. That you can know for sure that you're saved. Paul said in Romans 8, 
We, you know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We know that. It's a certainty. All things may not appear to be good and feel like they're good, but all things are working together for good. It's a Bible certainty. Paul says, you know, you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When we serve the Lord, we labor for the Lord. We know it's not vanity to do. It's a Bible certainty. Peter says, you know that you not, were not redeemed with corruptible things. You know that. What I'm saying is the Bible is a book of certainties. But in our text this morning in Joel chapter 2, Joel reasons with people who are experiencing the consequences of a life of disobedience, a life of rebellion toward God. They're in the midst of, we'll look at it, they're in the midst of reaping what they have been sowing. And he's urging them to repent. That's what we just read about here in verses 12 through 14. And then he says this in verse 14, just emphasize before we pray, who knoweth if he will return, if God will return and repent. Now here's something that you cannot be certain about. Joel wasn't certain about it. Who knows? Who knows? Now he's not talking about if God will forgive you. He's talking about if God will actually relieve, God will actually change his mind about some of the consequences of their disobedience, some of the, some of the um, fruit that they're going to reap because of the way they've been sowing. He says, who knows if God may return and leave a blessing? Who knows what God might do? And I, I just want to suggest to you this morning, and we're going to look at this together, you don't have, a, you don't have any clue what God might do if you would turn to God with all your heart. If you would really let God have it, you don't know what might happen, right? I certainly didn't know. You know, 40 years ago when we came to the Lord and turned our life to him, I never would have imagined that I'd be standing here before you this morning as a one-armed preacher. <laughs> but you know what God knew? Who knows what God might do? I want us to think about that this morning together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'd bless today as we just look at the Bible. We do thank you for the many certainties we know. The promise of mercy, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life. But there are some things that we don't know. And I pray that today we would take to heart the words of Joel that he said many hundreds of years ago. And think about them in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Who knows what God might do? As I said earlier, Joel apparently did not feel like he knew for certain. You know, I think this is relevant for a lot of reasons. But one reason is because people seem to always want to know what will be the outcome if I do this. What will, what will be the results of my actions? You've probably heard people say this, or you could probably imagine people saying it. I've actually heard them say it, you know. If I surrendered my life completely, then what would happen? I don't know what would happen. I know who knows what would happen, right? God knows what would happen. People are the same way sometimes about making foolish choices, you know, if, if I disobey in this area of my life, if I go against what I know is right, what will be the consequences? And you know what? You don't know what the consequences will be. 
You know, I, I kind of think in terms of a phrase that uh, we hear frequently, and that is this matter of risk and reward. And you hear about that a lot, especially when it comes to investing, but risk and reward. There's a direct relationship between the risk of taking a certain action and the reward that can be realized. There's a risk and there's a reward. And it's generally assumed that the greater the risk, it'll result in the greatest reward, right? Risk and reward. What are going to be the consequences of the decision that I'm making? And for some people, there is a risk in fully surrendering their life to God. They think about it. They weigh the cost. They're thinking about, I wonder what it would be like. I wonder if I really turn my life completely over to God. I wonder what would be the result of that. And I want to tell you today, I don't know the result, but I can tell you this. The reward of obeying God will always be greater than the risk. Always. It may, even if it's not in this life, even if you don't see it immediately. But we can't always know with certainty what the results are going to be. That's why, that's why we live by faith. We call it a faith life. We do the right thing not because we know what the outcome is going to be. We do the right thing because we know that God wants us to. It's good when you know, right? I mean, I, I like that. There's a certainty, there's assurance, there's a comfort when you know how things are going to turn out. As a matter of fact, even in the matter of prayer, we are taught about the value of knowing what God wants to do. John chapter 5, John wrote and said that if we know, if we know, if we pray knowing what God wants to do, then we can be assured that we're going to have the desires that we request of him. We can know that. But the fact is, we don't always know what God wants to do. You know, sometimes I pray, and I think it's a biblical prayer. Jesus put it in the model prayer. Thy will be done on this earth. I don't always know. Sometimes I pray for people to get better, and I don't really know what God's will is about that. I prayed many times, you know, for people to be helped in some way or another. Some diagnosis would come back favorably. Things that, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody who has a need that needs to be met. But you don't always know what might be. But you don't have to know. You don't have to know to do the right thing. Aren't you glad about that? We can pray asking God for his will to be done. Please mark your place right there, if you would, in Joel, because we're going to come back to Joel. But I want you to turn to the right a few pages, maybe 10 pages, to the book of Jonah. We see another example of this in Jonah chapter 2. Most of you are familiar with Jonah chapter 1. The Lord told him, to go to Nineveh, this great city of the Assyrian Empire, to go to Nineveh and preach the message that he ordered him to preach. And like people do from time to time, Jonah, Jonah decided not to do it. He decided not to do what he knew God wanted him to do. And things got rough for a while. And there was a storm that came and eventually... He was thrown overboard into the ocean, and he was swallowed by this giant whale, this large fish. Do you believe it really happened? Sure it happened. And in the belly of that big fish, Jonah started rethinking his position, his rebellion, his disobedience. And it was a wise move for him. And 
in chapter 2, it tells us in verse, for instance, in verse uh, 7, if you'd look there, chapter 2, verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Now, he's in the belly of a fish while he's praying. You can pray anywhere, amen? A lot of places I'd rather pray than that, but you can pray anywhere. He made a great statement in verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You know what he said? I've been an idiot. I've listened to lies. They that, forsake, that observe lying vanities, they believe lies, they take lies into their heart. They think they can get out, come out to their advantage when they're doing something that's wrong. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They're, they're disregarding, they're disqualifying themselves from mercy. But verse 9 he says, but I will sacrifice, talking to God, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. In verse 10 it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Don't you know that was an ugly scene? <laughs> this fish vomited this backslidden preacher right out on the beach. <laughs> verse three, or chapter 3 and verse 1 it says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the bidding that I bid thee. Now, when I read that, I'm kind of reminded of our text today. What might God do? When he prayed unto this, to God in the belly of this fish, what might God do? Might God might do nothing. Might God, might, God might forgive him of his sin and just let him die there. But God chose to speak to the fish, and the fish vomited him upon the land. And not only that, but God gave him another chance, a second call. The word of the Lord, it says in verse 1, came unto Jonah the second time. And Jonah goes and begins to obey the Lord. And I want to see another example of this a little further on into the chapter. Look, if you would, please, in verse 5 of chapter it says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah was preaching, and the people believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now, you'd have to know this is a very wicked city. I believe that's one of the reasons why Jonah didn't want to go there. The Assyrian Empire was a wicked place. Who would have thought a Baptist preacher could go in there and start preaching and people would start responding to that? But that's what it says in verse 5. All the people began to to, to believe God. Who knows what might happen? And then look in verse 6, it says, For the word, for word came unto the king of Nineveh. The word, the word of what was taking place made its way to the palace. And he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Even the king, even the king, with a broken heart, turning to God, repenting, if you read further on into that passage, look down in verse 8, it says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hearts. Look in verse 9. See if this doesn't sound familiar. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Who knows what God might do? 
They were turning to God with all their heart. God had already pronounced judgment. God was going to deal with them because of their, their idolatry, their rebellion. And when they began to turn to God, they said, who knows what God might do? Who knows how God might respond? Look in verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil, evil not being sin, evil being harm and danger and judgment. God saw their works, they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Who knows what God, I'm going to go back to Joel chapter 2, who knows what God might do? Now, if you look in Joel chapter 2, and we're not going to look at all of it for time's sake, but they were in a desperate strait. In many ways, their land was suffering. Agriculturally, it was suffering. Pestilence was overtaking the land. What Joel was doing, if you look in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. In my holy mountain, let, the, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. This was, this was, this was serious business to Joel. Sound an alarm. And if you look at the chapters, they were being chastened. They were being severely chastened. Look in chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, in the last part, well, let's just read verse 12. The vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. It was affecting them Physically, it was affecting them emotionally, it was affecting them materially, it was affecting them spiritually. And what was happening? Very simply, they were reaping the consequences of being disobedient to God. It was a time of spiritual decline. The house of God was being neglected. You know, everyone may not agree with this, but I think it's true. People never, people of God never get ahead when they're disobeying God. God does not bless disobedience. I mean, think about the prodigal son who left home for a better life. He wanted, he wanted a better life. It's great out there, isn't it? Eating with the pigs, broke, it's, it's a great life out there. And yet, and yet people somehow think, well, I can disobey God and things are going to turn out good. I don't think so. So in this condition, in the, land of, in the land of Joel, as he prophesied, he's here's just what he's doing very simply. Go back to our text in chapter 2 and verse 12. He is calling for a, a concentrated, sincere, searching Time of prayer and repentance. That's what he's calling for. And as I mentioned earlier in verse 12, this was not his plea. This was God's. Verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye unto me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. There's so many things about life that I don't understand. But here's one of them. Why a person can be drowning spiritually and not 
want to take serious their responsibility to turn to God with all their heart. Just give God this meager kind of partial obedience. Well, I'll, do this. I'll, I'll pacify God a little bit. Now, that's not what Joel was calling for. Joel was calling for a radical, all-out turning from self and sin unto God. That's what, he's, that's what he's appealing to them to do. They were in bad shape. Look in chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, be ye ashamed. He said, you ought to be ashamed. You know, it's one thing for people to sin. We all battle with temptation and sin. We, it's one thing for people to sin, but it's even worse when there's no sense of shame. They don't even feel, it reminds me of what Isaiah said when he says, they, people no longer even blush. They're doing things that should be considered shameful and, they, and they're, not, they're not ashamed at all. And really God wanted them to take this serious. Look in Joel chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, sanctify you fast. And here's the language I really want to emphasize. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry unto the Lord, a solemn assembly. Look in chapter 2 and verse 14. Or verse uh, 15, blow you the trumpet in Zion, sanctify fast, call a solemn assembly. He says that we need to take this seriously. You know, we often talk about the demise of our country and how far our country is going in the wrong direction. And is there any hope, really? Is there any hope? And I know that some people may think, you know, we're good, we're doing good, but I'm telling you, we're not on a good path. We're not on a good path. But this is the kind of situation Joel was in. He was calling for a, a radical turning to God. Now, just in case somebody might say, well, preacher, this is the Old Testament. We're not, we don't, God doesn't think like that now. Let me read you something from the New Testament. See if it doesn't sound similar to Joel's words. James says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This, even the New Testament, James said the same kind of thing. You know, to evaluate where you are, really see where you are, take it seriously, and turn to God with all of your heart. I think we all would admit we have a sin problem, right? All of us do. But I think the thing that hinders spiritual progress is not just the presence of sin. It's the acceptance of sin. When we let it stay in our life. Acts of disobedience, attitudes that are not pleasing to God. And so, so he, he calls on them in Joel chapter 2 to make this a priority. Notice what he says in verse 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, even the little ones. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. It's getting serious now. Cancel the wedding. Not recommended, right? What he's saying is you need to clear your social calendar. You need to, let's, just, let's make seeking God 
the most important thing we do. More than our wedding plans, more than our family get-togethers, let's make seeking God the most important thing on our agenda. And then he says, who knows? Who knows what God might do? Now, what did Joel want? Number one, he wanted to obey God. He wanted to obey God's command. But number two, he wanted to see God's people blessed. Spiritually blessed. Blessed by God. They were facing judgment. And they deserved it. Nobody would deny that. They deserved it. They're experiencing the consequences of their disobedience. And he says, let's just, let's just go all out. Let's just turn to God with all of our heart and let's see what God might do. It's not a guarantee. Now, I believe it is a guarantee. If somebody repents with a sincere heart, God will forgive them. But there's no guarantee that he's going to change the course of action that has already been put in place because we've sown the wrong kind of seed. But here was his reasoning in chapter 2, and I thought of this during the song we sang earlier. Chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. God prefers to bless rather than judge. That's the way God is. And we can be certain if we come to God in a sincere heart. If you're here today and you're not saved and you come to God with a true repentance in your heart and trust in Christ, you can be certain that God wants to forgive you. He wants to do that. That's the way God is. And that's why verse 14 says, Who knoweth if we will return and repent and leave a blessing? Who knows what God might do? I truly believe there are people sometimes in life that if you, could, if you could give them a guarantee, a warranty that says, if you'll turn to God with all your heart and admit where you've been wrong and genuinely repent to God and mourn for your sin and you'll fast and seek God, if you could put it in writing that God's going to save my marriage or save my family or restore, as Joel's day, what the locusts have eaten up, if you can guarantee me that, then they might do it. But what Joel says, there are no guarantees, right? There are no guarantees. But who knows what he might do in your family? Who knows what he might do in your life individually? I believe in the lives of many people, they've believed a lie. And the devil has convinced them that it's really not worth it. But the devil is a liar and the father of lies. Who knows what he might do in this community? You know, God responds to humility and brokenness and repentance. And God blesses obedience. Who knows what God might do? And I know there are probably people that would say, well, I just know God wouldn't hear me. I know God wouldn't forgive me. Well, the problem with that is it's, it's not in line with what God says, right? God cannot lie. You don't know what God might do. What, and by the way, please hear, hear, what if God did nothing? Let's just imagine someone who said, you know, I can identify with this. My life's messed up. Our family needs help. I've made a lot of bad choices. 
And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to follow the prescription. I'm going to turn to God with all my heart and not rend my garments, but rend my heart and seek God with all my heart. I'm going to quit playing around and playing games with God. And I want to tell you, if God did nothing, you'd be better off anyway. Right? You'd be better off. It's a win-win. You don't know what God's going to do. After David committed adultery and then basically committed murder, had murder committed, he turned to God and confessed and repented, and he truly repented with all of his heart. Nathan was a prophet at that time, a man of God, and Nathan said this. I'm going to read the quote from Nathan. The Lord hath put away thy sin. Isn't that good to know? God has put away your sin. But then the prophet also said this. The sword shall never depart from thy house. In other words, there are going to be consequences. You're going to feel the effect of this for a while. But God will forgive your sin. But something else happened at that time. David's child became gravely ill. And David began to beg God to heal that child. And this is what he said. Please hear this. Who can tell whether God will be gracious unto me that the child may live? He said, who knows? David didn't know. But he said, I'm going to pray in earnest because God could just hear my prayer. And he could heal this child. And if you know the Bible, you know that David's child died. But we also know this. The Lord blessed David in the remainder of his life and used him. You don't know what's going to happen. But I can tell you, you can pretty well predict what's going to happen if you don't turn to God with all your heart. It's not going to get better. There's no reason to believe it's going to get better. I mentioned the prodigal son earlier. You know, he left home believing a lie like so many of us have. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to go out there in the world and I'm going to do the way I want to do and live the way I want to live and have my own way. But he came to himself. He came to realize how foolish, how absolutely foolish he had been. And he decided he was going to go home. And when he went home... He would accept not being treated like a son, but being treated like a servant. He said, I'll just be my father's servant. I'll just be like one of the hired hands, and that'll be good with me. But what did God do? God put a ring on his finger, and a robe on his back, and shoes on his feet, killed a fatted calf, and had a big party. Now, the prodigal didn't go home and repent because he knew what was going to happen. He didn't go home and repent because he was guaranteed that he would have a place back that he had left as a child. No, he, he, he turned from his sin and repented and turned back because it was the right thing to do. Who knows what might happen? You know, my responsibility and your responsibility 
is to turn to God with all of our hearts. To be honest and sincere in our confession and our repentance to God. Look what it says in chapter 2 of Joel in verse 12. Turn ye even to me. Don't turn to the church. Don't turn to me, God says. Turn to me with all your heart. That's our job. That's our responsibility. What God does is for him to decide. And we don't always know what God's going to do. But whatever God decides will be best for us. There are people in this room today, young people in this room today, and older people in this room today, and I believe in their minds, and I'm not just dreaming this up, I believe this from talking to people. In their mind, they weigh this thing. You know, what might happen if I did this? What might happen if I turned my life over to God? What might happen if I took my spiritual life to another level? What might happen if I began to do the things that I know God would have me to do and quit doing the things that God would not want me to do? What would happen? And the answer is, I don't know what would happen. And you don't know what would happen. But the right thing is to turn to God with all your heart. And that's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And what God does, what God allows, how God blesses that is entirely up to God. Amen. And whatever God does is best. Right? It's always best. I think in every life, in every family, in every church, it's like there is a place that God would want us to go in really turning to him with all of our heart. That if we don't do it, we're going to miss out on blessings that God has in store for us. Amen? Who knows? Joel says, who knows if he won't bless? And God can bless in ways that we could never imagine. And we will never experience, I don't think, until we get serious about letting God have his way in our hearts and in our lives. And today, maybe, maybe today you're sitting here and you don't even know for sure you're saved. You don't know that you've been born again. You don't know that your life has been changed. I like that chorus we sang, when the Lord saved me. He changed our lives. What a difference it made. What a difference it makes. Thank God for it. But if you don't know you're saved, you ought to come to Christ today. You say, well, what would, what would happen if I got saved? I don't know, but it'd be good. <laughs> it'd be good. You ought to come to Christ today. Get serious about saying, I, wanna, I want my life to count. And maybe here today and you're a Christian. You say, I know for sure I've truly been born again. But you know that you're not where you need to be spiritually. Say, well, preacher, tell me what would happen if I just got all in. Tell me what would happen. I don't know what would happen, but it'd be good. Amen? It'd be good. That'd be a good day to do that. Let's stand together, please.